So everyone's doing it. But the question is, what are you doing to make sure that you do a good job and how good of a job are you doing? Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Difference podcast. As ever, I'm Harriet Vickers, and this podcast is brought to you by BMJ Quality. That thing that everyone's doing? Medication reconciliation. And that's what this episode is all about. Classically, we think about medication reconciliation in two parts. The first is a kind of gathering exercise. You need to find out what a patient's been prescribed and what they're taking. So if they've been prescribed something, but they're not actually taking it, you want to know about that. And vice versa, if they're taking an over-the-counter medication or a prescription drug they're getting through, say, a friend or relative, again, you need to know. You're reconciling a list across information sources. You might just be able to ask the patient and be satisfied that you've got a good list. But not every patient can tell you. They may have come in as an emergency and just not be fit. They may have dementia, lots of reasons. So you need to check with other sources, carers, family, electronic health records, their pharmacy, their GP or primary care physician's office, to name a few, until you're getting concordance and you're satisfied that you've got an accurate list. Part one. Part two is using the opportunity to evaluate what a patient is taking and to think about what they should be taking. With someone in hospital, you'll need to do this at least twice when they're admitted and again when they're discharged. Someone who's, say, come in with a fracture might need a certain pain medication when they first come in, but by the time they're fit to go home, they might need something different. I learned all of that from Josh Pevnik. He's a health service researcher and hospital physician at the Cedars-Sinai Health System in LA in the US. And he's a good person to ask about medication reconciliation. He's done it, He's studied it and he's helped to improve it. It seems obvious that medication reconciliation is a good thing to do and important for patient safety. Although this has been hard to prove because, for example, checking someone's medication is a long way upstream from an adverse drug event. Here's Josh on what medication reconciliation aims to prevent. To be able to prescribe the right medications, we need to know what medications patients have been taking. The most common type of error that is made is an error of omission. So a patient is taking something and we don't find out about it, we don't prescribe it, and we can unfortunately contaminate or ruin their medication regimen for years into the future because if we don't prescribe it at the end of that encounter, that discharge medication list for hospitalized patients or the list that comes out of a, an outpatient encounter too may be, can, may be used as the, as the list going forward. So any error that we make there may unfortunately be hardwired or propagated uh, into the future causing, causing future problems. So errors on a medication list at discharge or after an outpatient visit could stick around for a long time. People will think that just because someone has been in hospital or seen a doctor, they'll be on what they should be on. And this faith in a list will be even stronger if a doctor or other healthcare professional believes that medication reconciliation has been carried out. But getting a good list that you've got confidence in, checking across multiple sources, assessing everything on there, it all takes time. 
attempts to improve medication reconciliation have fallen foul of tick box culture. Because it's something that just seems to make so much sense, and because there was some evidence that it helps, there were standards put into place to induce provider organizations to conduct medication reconciliation. Unfortunately, some of the measures of medication reconciliation may have initially emphasized documentation of medication reconciliation more than medication reconciliation itself. And that that has been a problem frequently with measuring the quality of care. Furthermore, there have been reports both in the academic literature and in the lay press of negative experiences of harmful consequences associated with organizations attempting to comply with these standards. Oh, okay. So, yeah, just that's interesting. What kind of negative um, impacts has oh, it had? The, uh, the Joint Commission, they had a mandate, I believe, in uh, 2006 that said within the hospital, all patients need to have medication reconciliation. So the way for hospitals to show that they were complying with this mandate was, or, or one way, was for hospitals to have a checkbox in the patient record that says this patient has, or uh, medication reconciliation has been performed for this patient. So there was, of course, this strong incentive and cultural feeling for that box to get checked for mm-hmm. every patient. Unfortunately, medication reconciliation, it's very time intensive. It's tedious process. And without allowing clinicians the time to complete this task and just putting the checkbox in place, people are induced to to check the box even if they haven't done a perfect job. But then once the box is checked, the next provider may think, well, medication reconciliation has been performed, so I can believe in this medication list that uh, is is present in the in the record. So then someone may have Uh, more confidence in the medication list than they otherwise might have had. In the future, and some electronic medical records allow providers to have more than just a checkbox to explain explain what they did and and how good the final product is. So they may be able to say, I contacted this primary care physician and this pharmacy regarding the medication list. I have very good confidence in all the medications except this one. I attempted yeah. to contact this family member who I think knows about it, but I was not able to contact them. Then the next person can know uh, there's just this one medication that really needs to be sorted out. So um, I don't think there's anyone who's just saying we're prescribing medications without ever asking what medications patients were taking. So everyone's doing it. But the question is, what are you doing to make sure that you do a good job and how good of a job are you doing? What can you do then? to make sure you're doing a good job of this. Josh had lots of tips. One was that medication reconciliation can become everyone and no one's job, so make sure it's someone's responsibility to do it well. Another, get pharmacists involved. A couple of systematic reviews on medication reconciliation interventions found the most successful were pharmacist-based. After pharmacists, The next most common type of successful action involved electronic health records. Much of the literature on medication reconciliation is written by senior doctors who don't actually do it or haven't for a long time. There's a need for those who are doing it to be leading on it. 
there was a project published in BMJ Quality Improvement Reports last year, which hit all of those. And you'll be pleased to hear it was actually pretty simple. It was led by Emma Idles. When she ran it, she was one of 10 junior doctors in the surgical admissions unit at Hare Myers Hospital in Lanarkshire in the UK. We spoke on the phone not so long ago. Here's how the project started. Well, we, we first started off with um, a couple of the FI1s just discussing over lunch the problem that we had with medicines reconciliation and how a lot of the drugs and medications a patient was meant to be on hadn't been properly prescribed on, on the cardex, so which is the, the drug charts that we use in the hospital. So it started off more as an informal chat and then we thought, you know, we could pro- we could try and do something with this and tr- try and improve things. And we then discussed it with the, the, the pharmacy department in the hospital and at our um, departmental meeting about how how we could try and um, improve uh, medicines reconciliation and find out why things weren't weren't being prescribed properly. Was there something? Was there a particular incident that had happened then to kind of put it at the um, forefront of your mind, or was it just a general feeling that it you know it wasn't done very well? I, I think it was just a general feeling. We felt obviously as um, the FI ones in the hospital and uh, kind of the the front line of things that the pharmacists on the ward kept asking us to prescribe people's medications onto their card decks because they would generally every every day during the week from Monday to Friday they would have a look over um, everybody's card decks and we felt we found ourselves prescribing regular medications a lot that had been missed off um, the, the, the drug charts and quite often these were essential medications that hadn't even hadn't been written at all down on admission we looked into it a bit more um, and the pharmacy department had carried out an audit about a year or two years previously on medicines reconciliation and they had had really poor results but no one had really followed up okay. as to what was what was wrong. There's guidelines produced by NICE that say that 95% of patients should have a full medicines reconciliation which not it doesn't just include medications being prescribed on their drug charts but also their allergies and, you know, over-the-counter medications records as well, and that should all be done within 24 hours yeah. of admission. Um, and they had looked at that previously, and 0% of patients had the, the complete medicines reconciliation done on, admi- wow. on admission or within 24 hours. Okay. So, so how was the, the process meant to work? Was it down to the, the junior doctors to do it? So it was it was down to the the junior doctor that was clerking on the patient on admission. So on admission, you're meant to part of the admission pack that we have. Um, there's a there's a page for medicines reconciliation, and you're meant to record all the medications the patient takes, including their drug and non-drug allergies and their over-the-counter medications, and that should be filled out on admission and be translated to the drug chart. Okay. And we use. Um, in Scotland, we use a thing called the Emergency Care Summary, ECS, which is a list of medications and allergies from the GP that we can um, have access to and print off from a mm. central system. Sounds and helpful. unfortunately, in our hospital, none of the junior doctors had a username or password for it. So that's one of the kind of stumbling blocks that we, that we came across is that the medicines reconciliation was pretty much down to the patient either having their medications with them or having a prescription with them because otherwise we we didn't know what they were taking. 
It makes sense, doesn't it? If you're trying to reconcile a list across different sources, the more sources you have ready access to, the better. The project did do more than just get junior doctors access to the electronic record. And when the others involved ran information sessions with the hospital's pharmacists on the importance of medication reconciliation, there were posters and emails, other kinds of communication. And it all made a difference. You remember Emma said that that previous audit the pharmacist did found that 0% of patients had completed medication reconciliation within 24 hours. Well, when Emma and the others involved in the project got their baseline, they found that 77% of patients had completed medication reconciliation within 24 hours. So that's better than zero, but it's still a good way off NICE's recommendation of 95. At the end of the project, after two data collection cycles, 84% of patients had their medication reconciled 24 hours after admission. Emma was pretty clear on what she thought made the difference. From our point of view at a very junior level, that our push for doing the project was that we wanted access to ECS and we felt the only way that we could try and persuade people that we needed this access was to show how poorly medicines reconciliation was being um, carried out within the hospital, you know, just just because we didn't have access to, to something so basic and so important. That's it. We're done for this episode. Although for more on medication reconciliation, you can read Josh Pevnik's BMJ Quality and Safety article. And of course, you can go a look at Emma Idle's full project write-up. There's links to both of those under the podcast. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with more from the world of quality improvement. Catch you then.